chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. Mark chapter 3, verse 13. And he went up to the mountain and summoned those who he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Let us pray. Our Father, we do desire to have that uh, hymn as, as our prayer, that we would find in you our all in all, that there would be no one else, there would be none beside thee, as the psalmist says, that we would seek you in all things, in all situations. And Father, that you would be our all in all, that there would be nothing lacking in us and in, in our souls that would lack any praise to you. We ask that you would help us now as we hear your word, as you proclaim and you help us understand these things, that our Lord would be exalted and we may see him again. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Your, some of your Bibles have headings and they may say the, the appointing or the choosing of the twelve. And uh, I hope that by the end of our time together this evening that um, you will join me in seeing that the word that is translated in most of our Bibles, appointing, is making. And I have titled, uh, the, when I entitled the message, I typed out the choosing of the twelve and realized as I began to study deeper that it really ought to be the making of the twelve. David asked me many weeks ago um, if I would fill in for him this evening in the Sunday evening service. This is the last Sunday of the rotation before we, we switch uh, next Sunday. And I began thinking about, well, what do I do? And he suggested to just keep going on in the book of Mark instead of waiting, I guess, until January when I would take up the pulpit again. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, where, where do you stop? One in the morning service and began in the evening service. And as I looked at various commentators, some said that there's a break at the end of chapter 2 in Mark, and the others said, no, it's after verse 6, and others said after verse 12, others said 19a. Um, and so I thought, well, okay, that's pretty arbitrary. Um, how do I decide? And as I began working through for the message this morning, looking at Jesus withdrawing, and yet, in my mind, not withdrawing from a challenge or a controversy or for fear or for protection, but because he had to be about his father's business. And that business really takes on, I think, a, a real uh, momentous occasion here in Mark, the making of the 12. There, there we see him further withdrawing 
from the crowds, the popular enthusiasts, as I call them, the people and, and drawing his own disciples, of which we don't really know the size of the, the gathering, but he went up onto a mountain and he, and he summoned those whom he himself wanted. But why now? Right. Again, why, why this time? Well, I can, I can think of three things, and I think we pointed out a few of those, but the Pharisees, the hatred that we saw, is becoming more and more of a threat. Uh, these are serious murder plots that they're talking about here. This is, this is not, again, just not a um, demeaning or despising of his character, but it is his life. The enthusiasm that we see here, the gathering of the crowds, the multitudes that are coming, I think they're rising to a point where Jesus is saying, I, I need some help. Um, and we will see that as he asks his disciples, you, know, you give them something to eat. You help them. And then I believe also that there is a desire, whether it's uh, explicit or just implicit, his desire for men around him, for friendship, for fellowship, if we could use that word here. In Luke chapter 22, we read about when Jesus has been with these disciples for a while, and he is on his way to the cross, and he addresses them, and he says, and you are those who have stood by me in my trials. These are the men that he gathered to be with him, I think, again, in a need as a man for fellowship, for men that he could trust, men that he could speak with, men that he could be with. But is this a spiritual crisis for Jesus? Is, is this something that has gotten him upset? Well, uh, many commentators believe that where even though we're at only chapter 3 of Mark's gospel of 16 chapters, that there is about a year of time in the chronology of things, about a year that he would have with these disciples. And so there may be some urgency, maybe not a crisis, but an urgency on his part in their training. But I think that here for the first time, Jesus is consciously beginning to reveal to his own disciples and not just the larger group, but now 12, and as we know as we go on in the Gospels, specifically three of those 12, revealing to them who he is. And that's why I, I looked at this morning the, the idea of who is this man? Because we, we haven't, Mark isn't addressing that, but we've seen Jesus revealing himself, but I believe here is where he begins to see that these are the men who will carry on that ministry. These are the men who will do the, the work of ministry when he is taken up to heaven. Luke chapter 6, Luke tells us in his gospel how important this event was to Jesus. And you're familiar with that verse. And he says, he went off to a mountain to pray. And he spent the whole night in prayer to God. He gave a whole night to this prayer before the next day when he selected the 12. 
And I, Mark doesn't give us that bit. Um, Peter did not apparently pass that on to him. But we know that he was a man of prayer and that he would not do something of this magnitude or anything for that matter without prayer. And yet, as we see in the book of Mark, we know that he withdraws to, in order to be about the Father's business. And here he goes to a mountaintop. Some uh, surmise that it was the same mountain or mountainous region where he preached the Sermon on the Mount. But we're not told what that mountain is. And yet it is an isolated place where he can be with his disciples. And I think there are two summons here. There's a summoning of those that he himself wanted to be with him. And when we see those words together, like he himself, or if Jesus says, I myself, when, when the Greek does the doubling of the words like that, we know that it's emphatic. He's, he's saying to us, the ones whom he himself wanted, that Jesus chose. It was his will, his desire. We know that in the scriptures, there have been those who've, who've gotten that wrong. I, the one that comes to mind uh, readily is, is, is Samuel, choosing you know, the king and looking at the sons of Jesse and looking at their stature, looking at their countenance, looking at their position, looking at something other than what God looks at, the heart. And he was rebuked for that. But, but here we see that Jesus is not giving us any indication in this passage that these men had shown any kind of skill, any something that you know, caught his eye and thought, well, this one matched this one. He didn't do a draft. He didn't select those because of something that he had seen in them, at least as far as we know. What it does say to us is that these are the ones he himself chose to be with him. First, they were called to be his disciples. First, they heeded that call. And we only know of, of five of those whom Jesus personally said, follow me. But he called them and then he set them apart. They were, I think, converted first and then ordained, if we could think of it in those kinds of terms. But we know that they called them. And we see here that there was nothing that Mark used to embellish this. And in very simple words, he says, and they came to him. There was a response to his summoning them to come to him, to be with them. And we know from what we've already seen in Mark, how he saw the fishermen and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they followed him. But we don't see in there that they're with him all the time. And yet we've seen gradually that the disciples are there. But here I think Mark is helping us to understand that these men, first they retained their vocation and were his friends and were part of seeing him as a teacher, but then they were called to be his constant companions, constant attention with him, away from other interests, and now we see him, them being chosen by him to a very specific office. And why the 12? 
Well, I think if we know the scriptures at all, we think of the 12 patriarchs. We think of the 12 tribes of Israel. And indeed, Jesus tells them in Matthew 19, you have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne. You shall also sit upon the 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. But I think there's more to it than that. Uh, and I, I don't mean to belittle that. I don't, you know, there are parts of the um, soteriology and the eschatology of the Jewish race and the Jewish nation that I, that I don't fully understand. But this is a new community. He has chosen these disciples. They have been following him around and all the other people are, are not there. They're only his disciples who have gathered with him. And out of that group, he is choosing 12 to be with him more specifically for more time, for more teaching. And these are, these are the people of God. And it's as if he's in the midst of his church. The people that he's gathered to himself, these are the called ones. And he is going to do what Paul writes of him in Ephesians 4, where he says he gave gifts to men. And here he is giving them one of those gifts. He called some to be apostles, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, and yet here, here we see Jesus granting that gift to his church, the apostles that he has chosen to be with him. But as I say, I believe that when the New American Standard writes in verse 14, he appointed 12, that they ought to use the word that's actually there. The word is he made the 12. And I, I believe that it, it, the way it would read is he is making the 12. I think it's a Hebraism, if I understand that term. It's definitely a Semitic phrase. It, it's not appointed, but made. And we see that in 1 Samuel 12, where Samuel is talking to the people and he's trying to explain to them his situation and defending himself. And he says, it is the Lord who made Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt. He, he made them. And, and yes, our, our translations say appointed, but there is, I think, something more in that word. In Acts 2, we read in Peter's sermon, he says, therefore, to, to the house of uh, Israel, he's saying, therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, that is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Christ whom you crucified. God has made him. And now we see Jesus making his disciples. In Hebrews chapter 3, we read of Jesus the writer, the preacher says, he was faithful to him who made him, as Moses also was in his house. God made him, and now Jesus is making his disciples. And we don't know all of what that making is, but we know that it was a process with them. We know that there was uh, disciple making going on, that he was teaching them, that he was leading them, that he was showing them things. 
So he determined, I believe, again, he himself wanted these men. He was to make them. He picked those he determined to make fit for the office of the twelve. And I'm hesitating even to use the office, the word apostle, because it's not in Mark. I'm not even sure that it was a word that was uh, being used um, at that time, um, that they thought of themselves as apostles, maybe until later. But here we see that it is a distinct office. These are men who are picked for a very distinct purpose, just these 12. And we, it is not... Um, I think my, my place at this point in this sermon to talk about apostolic succession, but I believe that, I, I don't believe there is such a thing. I don't believe that there are those who come after these that are descendants of them or are men that they trained. I believe that there are other offices, the pastor, teacher, and those things, the other gifts that Jesus gave. But I, I believe that there is a pattern, there is a model for ministers here. They must be made fit for their office and their service. And I think that comes about when we see the two purposes that Mark gives us here. He made the twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out demons. I see two main purposes, that they might be with him and that he might send them out. And there, if you want to use the word apostle, I think there you have it. In the first, that they might be with him, they might be learners with him, they are the disciples. They, that's what the disciple means, is to be a learner. But to send them out, there's the apostle, the sent ones, the ones who would be his messengers. And so first they were to be his constant companions, to fully know him. And I, again, I, I think that we would all think and see this idea that before they could carry out the office role of preaching and teaching and healing and casting out demons, that they naturally would be with him, that they would learn from him. They would be able to attest to the truth, both by his precepts, what he taught them, and by his example, that they would have this close time to witness his manner of life, to understand how he lived out his doctrine, to witness his mercy and compassion for people, his patience. And I think insight also into men, how people think and why they act the way they do. And is that any less than what we would desire to do? To be with him, to be in his presence, to learn of him, to be as a Mary, to sit at his feet and learn of him. And yet, as we walk through life, we learn of him. As we see him interacting with people, with people, we learn that. We learn his mercy, his compassion, his insights. And secondly, that he might send them forth. First, to preach, to announce as a herald exactly what God had said in his word. So, again, I, th I think it, it, it dovetails with the thoughts that we had this morning. That passage in, in Romans chapter 10, where we, we learn, again, that hardening of, of Israel, and yet 
Who has believed our preaching? Who has believed our report? That is, again, so important to see in Isaiah because Paul picks it up in Romans 10. How are they to hear that report unless they have a preacher, unless they have one who is reporting to them? And we know that these men would learn how to preach, that they would learn as they learned of him, they would preach the word of the cross, Paul says. We preach the word of the cross to those who are perishing foolishness, but to those who are, to, who, who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is important, again, to see why this is so momentous occasion of choosing these 12, of choosing these men to carry on this work. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, We do not preach ourselves, but we preach Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. This is what Jesus taught them to do. This is how they were to carry out their ministry. And there are many who jump quickly to the last of these to heal or to cast out demons. I think in Matthew, we, we see that he says, having summoned the twelve disciples, he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. This idea of authority is a power, but it's also a, a right to do a thing. They have that power to carry it out, the ability, but it's also a right to do it. But notice, they, they owe all of their resource in being able to carry that out to Jesus. And he gave them authority, to have his authority to carry out these, these things. The, the miraculous, again, I, I believe is, is subsidiary to the preaching. The, the miraculous, again, is, is yes, it's preaching and these things that came along with them. The miraculous attests to the message. And, and it does, in certain instances, we see that it helps secure the reception of the message. But it's subsidiary to the main office that they were appointed to be with him and sent out to preach. Preaching and proclaiming the kingdom, I think, is the primary office, our primary duty of the office. Matthew Henry, I think, has some insight here when he calls this, he says, it is an original power that Jesus gives to them, that he gives them of his authority to them. But he brings us back to Hebrews chapter 3, in which it says, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. But Christ was, a faith, was faithful as a son over all God's house. See, Moses was a servant. And here Jesus is not in that role of servant. He is in the role of Christ as the one, as the son who is over all of God's house. And he has that authority in himself. He has that power in himself and he is granting it to his twelve. And to me, again, we're asking that question, who is this man? Who is Jesus? Show us Jesus, who he is. And I think by this very 
perhaps low-key for Mark, saying he has given them this authority. But where does that authority come from but from Christ himself? And then we have, I think, for me, trouble. The naming of the twelve. If you look at all the Gospels, all four of them, the lists are not exactly the same. Some of the men, it's actually trying to understand, is this the same man as this? One who's called Thaddeus one place and Lebius another place. And did he really give James and John this nickname? And it starts very awkwardly in the Greek where uh, Mark is telling us that Jesus gave Simon a different name. In Edersheim's book, and he of the Jewish background, writes this. The difficulties connected with tracing the family descent or possible relationship between the apostles are so great that we must forego all hope of arriving at any certain conclusions. There are some similarities here. There, all of them have this, the list, and I don't quite understand how uh, the theologians come up with this, but they all seem to come up with three groups of four. And to me, it would be four groups of three because there's Peter, James, and John. But when they're listed in the different verses, they're four, four, and four. And each list has the same name at the beginning of those four. But I think more importantly for us, we see in Mark that there, there are hints of the inner circle of the twelve. And, and he's writing this later as Peter is telling the, him some of these things. But there is this idea when we read of Simon, who, to whom Jesus gave the name Peter, we can kind of go back to Matthew 16 and we can look at that and say, you know, that happened later. And that was an important scene in the Gospels. But there's that kind of this family. There's kind of this intimacy that, that Mark brings us into, not only between the disciples, but Mark and his familiarity with them. And knowing, and we don't really know, when Jesus gave the nickname to James and John, the sons of thunder, many people would take us back to Luke chapter uh, 9, I believe it is, where the, the, they're talking with the Samaritans and they're, they're actually trying to heal in Jesus' name and the disciples are all discombobulated and James and John come to Jesus and say, do you want us to command fire to come down upon them from heaven and consume them? And maybe that's where, you know, it's kind of this inside joke where these thun, sons of thunder, these way in which they, you know, see things. And yet we see this kind of to the inner circle. The men that Jesus has chosen to make fit for the office of the twelve. But what's the significance of the twelve? Well, obviously, they were chosen for Christ's special care. We, we see in the Gospels after one of the experimental mission trips that they went on in Luke chapter 9, he, he kept them close and closer. 
he taught them more and more intimately after that. If you read through, there's episodes that happen, but he talks to them and he pulls them aside and explains the things that are to come. It's where he begins to reveal to him the Son of Man must suffer many things. On another such trip in Luke chapter 10, he says, it says of Jesus, and I'm not sure, but I believe this is the only place where we read this kind of language about Jesus. When they were coming excitedly back to him and even the, the spirits uh, obey them, it says at this very time he rejoiced greatly in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise thee, O Father, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent and didst reveal them to babes. There is an intimacy, there is a, a joy in seeing these disciples go out and preach and do the work of the ministry. In Acts chapter 4, a passage you're familiar with, where we're, we're told, about, told about Peter and John. And it says, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were educated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize that them as having been with Jesus. See, it, it wasn't an exercise with them. It wasn't just a, a two-year rotation and we're out. It, it wasn't an appointment that, yeah, okay, you know, I'll take it for a while or I'll have to decide. Here we see that Jesus worked in their lives and their hearts. People began to recognize these men had absolutely been with Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, when Paul tells us about Jesus having been killed and then he was buried and then he rose again on the third day, the first thing that he mentions about him revealing himself as alive, he went to the twelve. To Peter first and then to the twelve, he says. When the kings and queens, the political figures, the celebrities of earth are long forgotten, and their memory is in the ash heap of history. The names of these men, I think, will live on. They will live in the memory as the psalmist in Psalm 112 writes, the righteous will be remembered forever. These men were set aside for a distinct office, for a distinct purpose, to be with him and be sent out to preach. And we see here, I think, the, the beginning. And again, I, I don't know if this is the right phrase to use, but I, I see a new Israel. I, I, I see a new community here. I see the gathering of, of men and the foundation of that. The gift that he is given of calling the apostles. But we must not lose sight of this. These are the men that he himself wanted and they came to him. Jesus, I think, again, for the first time, we see him specifically beginning to move toward the disciples and teaching them who he is. And we never read in Mark where Jesus says to someone, I am the Messiah. He does not use the phrase of himself, I am the Son of God. But here, I think very definitely what we see is that he has forming the foundation of his church with these apostles, but it's very definitely that he is supreme in it. 
He acts in a way that conveys the message, the fulfillment of all God's purposes, and the good of all God's people is to come through me. On this foundation, he is building his church. The men are there to be built upon it, and he is building into to him as the cornerstone, that foundation of his church. But it is the men that he himself has chosen. He himself has picked. And he will make them because he is Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, we ask again that you would help us to understand these things. Help us to see that these be so that we would desire to come to the scriptures each day, that you would, would show us Jesus, show us his work, his word, and Father, that we may grow more and more in our faith and our worship of him. And we do ask, Father, that you would, as you did with these disciples, that you would allow us to be with you, that we may learn of you, and that we may glorify you in our work. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Do you please rise for the benediction chosen a passage from John's epistle, the first chapter. He writes, what was seen from the beginning and what we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you, that you may also have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.